Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Sophist, the podcast where we take you through the major news and topics facing importers and manufacturers in China and Asia today. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded, episode one hundred and five. This time, Adrian from the Sophist team here, joined by our CEO Renault. Renault, hi. Hey, hi, Adrian, and hi to the listeners. Yeah, hi to all of the listeners around the world.、Uh, thanks for tuning in again. Today's topic, actually, we go back to some of the questions that we asked around the time that we did episode a hundred. We got loads of questions, and we couldn't cover them all in one episode. So I love it when you answer the questions, Renaud, because you know it's like, how do you do such and such, and then you just basically. You know, let us know how to actually do that and get improvements. So I, I really enjoy how useful these are. And there were a few questions left that we were sent in from some of our listeners, and、uh, so I think today is a good opportunity to just go through those and get some really great answers. Is that okay? Yeah, let's do it. Yes, we will try to answer them quickly. So it's better to、um, to to deal with these questions now, and then we hope that. Some other listeners will have some, maybe some other questions,、uh, or, or the same listeners can have more questions,、mm. uh, and we can yeah, do yeah. this from time to time. Yeah, yeah. To send them in uh, uh, on the contact page on sophies. dot com, for example.、Uh, if you've ever got any questions, we can answer them. Okay, so the first question: How to communicate the quality of materials or fabrics you're wanting to your supplier? There are qualitative aspects that are outside a fabric spec description.、Mm-hmm. Sure. So that's true. You can't just describe what you want in words here. You will need to refer to samples, and that's what we discussed. When was that? Just I think two episodes ago, when we talked about the quality standard. If I summarize briefly what we discussed, when it comes to soft goods, you know,、um, like garments and home textile and, and these types of products, the, the touch and feel of the the fabric used and and the accessories used and so on is so important that a lot of buyers tend to rely more on samples than on written specification sheets. Now it doesn't mean that written specification sheets are are, are are useless. They're definitely useful, but what I'm saying is that they rely even more on the on on, on the approved samples, right?、Mm. And that's because when it comes to touch and feel, when you when it comes also to colors, you know you can't just describe it, or it becomes. I mean, it's it's very hard, right? And Now, a lot of designers are, are are getting close to that. Maybe they 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 work in advance with a supplier and they say, okay, send me, you know, some of your、um, like a library of the most common fabrics that you you like to use, the most common or whatever lace or you know the, the the most common buttons and so on, and they work as key partners. And then in that case. The designer has all of the the library that is exactly the same as the suppliers, and then they can say, "Well, I want this one,"、uh, da da da, and then 
but it doesn't work very well with colors, you know, but at least they can they can speak the same language when it comes to the fabric and, and some of the key accessories. Uh, when it comes to colors, yeah, there are some, um, you know, coloring matters that can, uh, how to say, measure, you know, exactly the, 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 the color. Uh, of course, there's a tolerance is not not extremely um, accurate, but it's it's not bad at all. Now, if you are absolutely sure that it's you know you're talking about the same fabric, you already have samples of the fabric, and then you're talking about the color of that specific fabric. It, it, it goes a long way. It goes a long way. Now, in most cases, what I just described is is not in place. So yeah. People need to to approve. So, what 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 they do usually, and this is in the development of the new uh, new product, uh, it comes into play early. You, you know, usually the manufacturer will uh, if you if you buy in Asia, I should say, and if you are relatively open and you want the process to be simple and you want the price to be you know low, <laughs> uh, you're gonna. Li- leave the choice of the fabric and of the key accessories to the supplier. They're going to work with their local suppliers that give them a more competitive price, maybe than the, um, maybe the the, the Western suppliers that, you know, uh, that can come and see you, that can do a lot of work, uh, but that, that maybe, um, yeah, again, are not very price competitive. So you let the supplier choose the submit and they say, okay, I like this one and I like that one. And then they're going to give you some lab dips. Usually, here I'm still talking about uh, fabrics and, and you know garments and home textile and so on because this is what the question is about. Usually in that industry they call it lab dips. So it's it's um, yeah from the lab, <laughs> small pieces of fabric, and they will dye it, not with the production intent processes. You know it's it's very small uh, scale. Uh, I, I mix the colors just now and I, I put it together and, you know, I, I send you a little, I don't know, one inch by one inch at best uh, piece of fabric. And then it's, it's, it's good for an initial approval by the buyer. Then later on in the process, there's usually what they call fabric swatches, which is now larger because if it's too small, you can't really actually appreciate, you know, the color uh, you might, make um, a wrong decision, you know, maybe it looks good, but then once it's on a larger piece of fabric, it doesn't look so good, right? So mm. people usually want a larger piece of fabric in, of the exact fabric dyed in the exact color, right? Um, and then they keep that. And then when the, when, the, 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 when, when the bulk fabric and the bulk accessories, you know, have been dyed, and they've been delivered to the cotton shoe factory, then usually the cotton shoe factory makes pre-production samples and send them to um, to the buyer for final confirmation, right? And, and if the buyer says, yeah, okay, go ahead, well, that's really the final approved sample that embodies the, the standard of what the buyer wants. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain things, obviously, that can be specified, about the fabric, you know, is it compliant to reach, for example, if it's going to be sold in the EU? What is the exact composition? This is extremely important because if you mislabel the 
the, the, the products with the wrong composition where the, the customs might, might block your shipment and you might be in, 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 um, in a world of problems. Things like the, the whatever the construction, you know, the, the threads and so on. You can you can go deep into the the the, the details of it, right? Yeah. And there's so much more than just what is the fabric, what is the touch and feel, what is the color. There's so much more to that uh, when you when you buy products from uh, from from Asia. So a lot of buyers in the North American apparel industry use what they call a tech pack, a technical pack. Uh, and by the way, we're going to have someone uh, in a, a future episode soon to actually uh, do a deep dive into that because mm. I see a lot of buyers are not familiar with that and it, it's really quite important. So we'll do another deep dive into really you know, the development of of, uh, of of garments, let's say. So I'm, I'm not going to go deep into it now, but there's, there's a lot of other things you want to mention, you're right. You sure. want to to make sure they they know what and they they remember what your comments were on the on on the preparation samples, uh, this grading you know on on the measurement points, etc. 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 And there's the labeling and there's the packing and so on and so forth, right? Hmm. So I would not say just write a specification sheet without specification sheet, sorry, in written form without samples for most consumer goods. On the other hand, uh, I would also not say uh, you, you don't need a sample. <laughs> you need both, really. That's, right. that's the key here. Sorry, yep. just one thing that comes to my mind also. Again, if you if you um, work with fabrics from certain suppliers, you just say, okay, I want this exact fabric from this supplier. Uh, you know, usually buyer-nominated suppliers. And it will eliminate a lot of the uncertainty. If they mm-hmm. buy it, if they actually buy it from that fabric supplier, you know, it might be a bit more expensive. The supplier might not be very happy to use your own supplier rather than their supplier. Uh, but yeah, it is a common reference. You know, there's a, whatever, an item code that can be uh, referenced, obviously. Mm. That sounds like a very solid uh, DFQ decision. Oh, um, yes. So if you let the supplier pick whatever, you know, uh, fabric supplier they want to use, (laughs) things might go very well, but Mm. things might not go very well. Uh, If you you direct the fabric supplier, you know, that, that you have qualified, that you have worked with, that you know, that you have a direct relationship with, well, it, of course, it reduces the risk especially as you can double check that your cut and sew supplier really bought the fabric from, from these guys that you nominated, right? Mm. Uh, and in some cases, yeah, in, in garments, it's still, it, there are still companies working like this, even in Asia. Uh, they, they, you know, a company in, let's say, New York City will design a product, will actually buy the fabric and accessories themselves, get it delivered to a cut and sew factory, Right, and then they would only pay the cut and sew factory for the, the number of hours of work. Right, it, it's it's much more common if you work in uh, in Eastern Europe or in Northern Africa or you know closer to your to, to your market. Usually, when you when you buy from 
Chinese suppliers, Vietnamese suppliers, and so on, especially Chinese suppliers, uh, they like to just do everything on their own. And, and, you know, if for whatever reason, they cut a little bit smaller and, and they keep a little bit of fabric on the side for their next job, you know, it's, it's all pocketed uh, as, as profit, right? They, they, like to, um, they like to keep these kind of things under control, right? Mm. But it's, it's not the only way, it's not the only way. Yeah, and this is this is one of the things that uh, I think you discussed last week uh, when we talked about quality standards. I think as well. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's good to know. Uh, also, I like that uh, we're giving apparel and products like that a bit of a bit of love as well, because oftentimes we talk about uh, mm-hmm. electronics or mechanical products, and that's great. But uh, but there's a lot of people out there, I'm sure, who are you know producing products made of materials as well. So good to cover those. Let's move on to question two. Sure. Okay. So what are some options for minimizing the impact of tariffs on China manufactured goods being imported to the USA for sale under our brand? So this one's a bit different and very specific to the States. Mm, Right, right. So the first option that many people are looking into is highly highly <laughs> dangerous do not do it right i mean obviously you can mislabel the products and you can send them to uh to, to vietnam or some some other place where people uh, maybe repackage the products but don't really do anything and then they they say that it's you know that the origin is that other country and vietnam got into a bit of trouble because a, a lot of factories were doing that uh, do not do that. It's very risky. Uh, if the, the U.S. customs jumps on you, uh, you, you, will, you will be in a world of trouble. And, and, and the penalties would be really high. And you know, don't, don't play with that. <clears throat> By the way, um, I should also say that this is particularly dangerous because anybody who knows this is happening can tell the U.S. Um, Customs Office or Customs and Border Department, whatever it's called, you know, can tell the U.S. Customs about it and actually get a kickback, sort of, you know, by from, from the U.S. Customs. Uh, they can they can get a part of the the penalty uh, that that is imposed on the company. So um, it, it's it's really really dangerous. Don't play with that. Um, sometimes the supplier. Again, very often Chinese suppliers, you know, they they um, they will find solutions. You know, <laughs> one of the solutions is, um, you know, just don't ask any questions. We'll get it made somewhere else, and you you'll get it. And you know, from again, maybe from Vietnam, and with all the paperwork from Vietnam, and it's going to be fine. Mm. <laughs> um, you know. But if, if you if you haven't visited the factory in Vietnam to make sure they actually can do it, uh, if you haven't maybe had it audited, um, you know, if you don't have photos and, and so on, that evidence that they actually can do it. And then if you don't from time to time run an inspection there just to make sure that it's really made there, you know, you again you're running a very high risk. Very high risk because the product might have been completely made in China. Mm-hmm. And then the U.S. customs might go after you really, really hard, right? 
So these are the things not to do. You might, in some cases, be able to work with a specialist or, you know, sometimes a, a customs lawyer and look at the exact classification of the product. And sometimes your product could be put in that category that is subject to tariffs or could be put in that other categories, other category that is maybe subject to lower tariffs or maybe mm. to no tariffs, right? And the best is to do that at the very start when you're still designing the product because, you know, either remove one minor feature and it, it would fall into one category or the other. Now, if you do it on a finished product, eh, you know, yeah. chances are lower that then, you know, just with a different name or different description, you, you will go into another category and you'll be safe. It's, mm. It doesn't sound very safe to me, but some companies have done that, right? Interesting. Um, legitimately. So again, you need to work with a specialized lawyer or consultant on that. Don't, don't play games because it's really very, very dangerous. Apart from that, mm. I mean, my, my main answer, if you want to minimize the impact of tariffs, well, you need to sell it maybe to, to, to customers that are less price sensitive. Now, I know that's it's easy to say, mm. but, you know, maybe you specialize in a certain niche, you know, where you understand their, their, uh, their situation, their needs much better. And, you know, maybe they're less, less tempted to, um, to go to your, your competitors. Maybe you only, you have a, a certain reach onto that, uh, that specific market niche. Again, you know, um, competition is, is not as strong. Um, maybe you, you develop new products and your products are unique. And in that case, you can charge a premium. Hmm. Um, of course, as long as, uh, you know, you have protected your IP and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but R and D can really, really do a lot of um, a lot of good if 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 you develop the right product that, that your market wants. Maybe your product has the same same general features, uh, offer the same benefits as your competitors' products. But maybe the design is just much better. I mean, look at Apple's products, right? I mean, I, I know it's a uh, an extreme example, mm. but their 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 phones and their computers and they don't have a lot of features than the a lot more than 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 the competitors have it's just a different different design different general packaging and different presentation right so yeah. arguably fewer uh, oftentimes right. it's the android phones that come out with the cutting edge technology first and then apple eventually adopt it like a, a year or so yeah. later on Oh yeah, and a lot more options for configurations, mm. and a lot more apps in the store, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, yes, uh, so more is not always better. If you if you really have your finger on the pulse of the market, you might be able to pull something like that. Mm. And you know, depending on the market you're going after, of course. Well, the, the cruel reality is consumers are getting used to price rises these days, so. 
I guess, if you're a brand and you've got to pass on the cost of tariffs in in the form of a price rise. I mean, it is happening and people are having to pay it. So, right. yeah, it's uh, if you're providing value that uh, can't be obtained elsewhere, is it worth it? Uh, yes, in many cases. Yes. And then, well, you, you so what you're saying is keeping it the exact same product and simply passing on the, the, the raise of costs, right? If you sell e-commerce, it's a little bit easier than if you go through retailers who might just say no. Sure. Um, of course, the, you know, the, the, the fewer gatekeepers, the, the easier. There are also a lot of practices that are close to that, but maybe less obvious. You, you make a special edition of the product, maybe mm. with less content, a new packaging, a little bit more expensive, but actually people get a little bit less of the product. Mm. <laughs> or, you know, you, you, you make things a bit, a bit more cute, you know, you redesign things a little bit, or maybe you just change one of the materials of the product and, you know, or, or you, maybe you remove some of the expensive processes and you cut costs this way. I mean, sometimes there's a lot of things that are done that actually don't have any, any impacts, right? Mm. For example, the um, uh, Chrysler in the 90s find, found out that there's no need to do surface treatment on both sides of the exhaust pipe. Uh, no need to anodize inside, you know. And it's actually one of the suppliers that suggested that. And they did, they did a lot of uh, durability and reliability testing. And they said, well, actually, it doesn't make any difference. So no need to do it. And we save costs and we save time. You know, everybody's happy, right? Sometimes you can re-engineer the manufacturing processes a little bit. We re-engineer the product and you say, well, maybe no need for um, no need for that, I don't know, grade of plastic or something, or, you know, no need for that kind of alloy. We can go for something a little bit cheaper. And in some cases, the consumers really don't mind. They don't really care. Mm. Um of course, if it's if it's a watch, and it's stainless steel, but you go into some other alloy, uh, they're going to, um, you know, you you can no longer stay say that it's stainless steel, and then of course they will not be as uh, as happy. But 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 there are cases where you know people don't don't really make a difference between I don't know TPU and silicon or you know and and. It leads to um, um, different costs of molds and different costs of the, the material itself, and it can have a big impact on the product. So mm-hmm. uh, rethink the product, rethink the product uh, and, and the manufacturing process. And in some cases, you can save a lot. And same thing for the packaging. Some people, are, especially now with a higher cost of, uh, of shipping, maybe you can have a packaging that's half the volume but actually even better protection right? some some people have have achieved that because a lot of the packaging is not really thought through people don't really do the the, the, the drop tests and the compression tests and so on they, they don't really um, try to re-engineer the packaging but if you ship high volume products you might save a lot of a lot of money that way mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Amazon have done something similar. I don't necessarily think it's going to provide better protection, but 
certainly here in the UK, I don't know about uh, the States or, or the rest of Europe or whatever, but they used recyclable paper bags now instead of mm-hmm. boxes. So the once sort of ubiquitous Amazon right. box that's sort of going out with the dinosaurs. Uh, and I imagine that's saving them an awful lot of money. And yeah, it's recyclable because it's just a, it's like a thick, almost cardboardy paper bag mm-hmm. or big like envelope almost. And that, that's got to be a huge cost saving exercise. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And <laughs> especially when when they do that rather than shipping it in a very very large export box uh you right, know, yeah. shipper box which which happens shockingly often oh, all the time yeah there's it's yeah. like 70% or 80% air or even more yeah yeah absolutely so i think sustainability wise and cost wise it's it's uh it's a good move for the planet but also probably for amazon of course as well yes. oh, so okay cool So moving on to question three, also regarding costs. So volatile costs, how do we deal with those these days? Something you've mentioned before, I'm sure. But uh, but yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about that a little bit. So what sort of tactics can you suggest? Well, the response is actually quite similar to the, the, the response to the previous question. Mm. The previous question was, you know, there's, there's tariffs. How, how do we minimize the impact of tariffs? And this one is costs go up and down. And these days it's more like they're going up. Mm. How to minimize the impact, you know, how to deal with them is the same idea. The material costs are going up. The energy costs are going up a lot. Yes. And you might say that it's volatile. You might say that it might be here to stay. Uh, it depends, of course, on what materials but you have to plan you have to plan with that so mm. of course if certain material goes up a lot in 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 cost and another material that could be substituted to 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 the expensive one you know in your product is available and it's much cheaper now is the time to re-engineer the product as long as the customers don't really mind of course right mm. or maybe you Make another product that is, you know, is going to be seen as inferior, but is going to be cheaper than the, the product that is, is going to be much more expensive. And then you offer, you know, the option to buyers, you, you know, yeah, the, but, you know, the, the cost of copper is going up a lot and this and that, and there's no way we can keep the same price. So this one is going up, but we have developed this other one, which is inferior. That's true. But if your budget cannot stretch, Maybe it does the job, right? So it depends on what market you are. Yeah. If you're selling to to customers that that want the 24 karat gold, you know, okay, you're not going to replace gold with, uh, you know, plated brass or something. Okay, forget about that. But if you if you sell to other consumers or customers that that are more uh, pragmatic, it might be the way. Um, mm-hmm. And um, Yeah, basically, um, I I don't see many people going through the exercise of breaking down all of the costs that make up their product. And very often, they they don't know because the suppliers, you know, again, they're not transparent. They don't give that kind of information. That's true. But if you you buy a lot of a certain type of product, you, you really have to do your homework on that. 
and there mm. are ways to find that kind of information right and uh, and then what if you see that one of the the lines accounts for very a very high proportion of the the final cost then you know what can you do about it that's sort of the um, the thought process but if you just have your you know your indian supplier or your vietnamese supplier say hey you know that's that that's it that's all we can do you know sorry we have to to bump the price up 15% and then all you do is you try to negotiate to keep it to keep the rise to 8% or 10% um it's going to be a difficult discussion, you know, it's going to go down to, we're not going to order anymore, you know, to try to to gauge where the um, the, the breaking point is in the negotiations yep. and to, to pay as little as possible. But it, it's really, you know, the supplier has most of the information. So you, mm. you're not, you're not in a position of strength. Now, regularly, we, we write something on the Sophie's blog about the, the, the evolution of the cost of certain raw materials, right? Uh, yes. Like PVC and, and a certain number of things and, and, and cardboard for, for, for cartons, etc. And it's possible to actually buy, you know, if you know what materials make up your product, it's possible to to uh, to buy the historical data, for example, you can buy the data on the Chinese market every day of the past year. <laughs> it's it's and it's not that expensive if you want to, you know, if if you buy a lot of a certain product that has a lot of you know two or three key materials, it's really not that expensive to to get the data and then you can go back to the supplier and say, hey, well. This is the, the price of this commodity on the Chinese market. So, you know, don't tell me you buy it at a very different price because maybe you're not buying it at the right price. Yeah. And yeah, it, go, it, it went up. But if you look from this date to that date, it went up only 7%. But why you tell me that this price went up and you want to, to push the price by 20% of the finished product? What's going on? And they're going to say, well, you know, the rent is going up and the salaries are going up and da, 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 da. Okay, so, you know, give me the data. What are you talking about? Well, the salaries went up. Okay, where are you guys in Dongguan? Okay, I mean, the salaries of the, the operators and so on. Yeah, but it's not 20% year on year. I'm sorry, you know. Mm. You, can, you can go back to them and, and argue um, with data. And, and then you, you are at the same level as them. You, you, can, you can challenge them. And of course, you can always go out on the market and, and do some sourcing and find some other suppliers that are ready maybe to, to quote for the same um, same product, maybe at a lower price, but you never really know if they will keep that price or by the time they go into production, they will, they will be bumping it up also, right? So that's good to show your current supplier. Maybe you can say, well, you look, I found five other suppliers. I'm going to call them A, B, C, D, and E. These are the prices they gave me. So you're not very competitive, Mr. Supplier. What can you do about that? Right? This, this might be a way. This might be a way to, um, to put some extra pressure on the supplier. Yeah. So that, mm. That's what I would say. You know, know your product. 
know the materials, the, the, the components that make it up, track prices, and and challenge the supplier. Yeah. Mm. You mentioned energy costs just at the start of when mm. answering that question. Um, I'm curious, here in the UK, energy costs just went up by a, frankly, mm. ridiculous 54%. So mm. you can imagine if you're a manufacturer here, that's a big issue. And I'm sure that mm. costs are getting passed on to consumers. In China, and I mean, look, we've got a factory in China. Is it the same or are they more insulated from energy price rises, which are being caused in Europe by a number of reasons? Uh, but one that's often quoted is the war in Ukraine, because European countries are scrambling mm. to stop importing oil and gas from Russia. Now, China right. isn't doing that. So are these energy costs still an issue in China? Uh, not as much, not to the same extent, no, uh, for mm. several reasons. First, yeah, Europe is kind of far away. And the, how to say, the economic activity in China is not as hot uh, as, as it was in the past. And this is also keeping the energy costs a little bit uh, contained. Now, you, you, you're catching me unprepared. Uh, <laughs> I haven't checked precisely. Okay. But yeah, for, for, for an assembly activity and light machining activity, uh, it doesn't make a substantial difference. Now, for companies that do, you know, for example, die casting, which is a, an extremely energy intensive activity, mm. yeah, they definitely feel the pressure, of course. Uh, as soon as the price of energy goes up, yes. Uh, but, you know, most of the energy used in the manufacturing sector comes from from coal in China, yeah. right? So, and what you are seeing is the, the rising price of gas and, and, and oil in, uh, in Europe. Correct. Yeah, it's not, not tightly connected, I would say. Right, okay. That's one potentially volatile cost, but if it's sort of uh, more insulated in China, that's... I suppose that's something that people need to be aware of. Um, right. We can't we can't compare it to Europe specifically, uh, which is good. Okay, yeah, I think that's three good questions. So one about communicating the quality of materials and fabrics you want to your supplier, then minimizing the impact of tariffs on China-made goods being imported into the USA. And how we deal with the volatile costs that we're all sort of experiencing in different ways these days. I think that's uh, that's three great questions. So thanks to everybody that sent them in and uh, and some really interesting answers there, Renaud. Great. All right. So, yeah, I hope some readers send some other questions. Yeah, Don't yeah. be shy. Go ahead and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll do an episode like this from time to time. Yeah, yeah. And also, if you if you like, if you like the show, if you like the podcast. Uh, please leave us a five-star review, even a little comment if you uh, if you can. It's always helpful. <laughs> Thanks yeah. a lot. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. 
visit us at sofeast.com. That's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too. 